0: Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? As you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, The Hangar in Montana, and Purpose Church Rancho Cucamonga. We are so glad uh, that you are joining us for our study of God's Word uh, today. And uh, we begin a new series in the morning as well uh, with Fearless, and each week we're going to take a different fear that people struggle with and apply biblical principles for dealing with that fear. The subtitle to this is Imagine Your Life Without Fear, Fearless. And so today we're going to ta- start with the fear of what other people think about me. The fear of what people think about me. Now, how many of you remember the old Peanuts uh, cartoon? Uh, a lot of know it now in this new generation because of the movie that's come out. And Charlie Brown, uh, is always the one with anxiety, it says, My anxieties have anxieties. And so often those anxieties are about what other people think about me. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of a pop quiz to start us off. Uh, You don't need to raise your hand on this one. Do you fish for compliments? Do you need people's approval? Do you compromise your convictions for popularity? Do you spend money you don't have to impress others? Are you overly concerned with how you look? Do you never take a risk? Because if you fail, you'll look stupid. Are you obsessed with how many people like your Instagram selfie? Are you overly concerned with how much you weigh? Do you refuse to admit mistakes because people will think less of you? Do you cross moral boundaries because you're afraid of losing a relationship? Do you overcommit because you want people to like you? Now, to some degree, we should all be concerned with what people uh, think about us. A certain amount of that is okay. As a matter of fact, the Bible encourages it. Proverbs 22, verse 1, there in your study outline, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. 1 Timothy 3, verse 7 is a command to pastors, but really it applies to everybody. A pastor must also have a good reputation with outsiders. But sometimes we take this to an unhealthy extreme. Reese Witherspoon is just a beautiful, talented young actress, and yet here's what she feels about herself. You'll see the uh, quote there in your study outline. I don't watch any movie I'm in. It's horrifying. I'll just focus on something stupid like, I hate my laugh, or why did I smile? Sometimes I look at myself and think, dude, I have the biggest, goofiest smile on earth. Only in very dark moments, moments of pure self-loathing, do I type my name into Google. Google. Uh, You never read anything positive. You always go straight to where they say something nasty about you. You're fat, you're ugly, you're tired, you're worthless, you don't have a career anymore. It's just an affirmation of every horrible feeling about yourself. You see, it's a roller coaster, a trap that we get on. And so when people approve of us, the, the roller coaster ride is up here. And then when they disapprove of us, it goes down here, and then back up again, and then back down again. Now, the Bible has a term for this. It's called the fear of man. That's the term the Bible uses for this trap, the fear of man. And the Bible says that the fear of other people is a trap. Our theme verse this morning is Proverbs 29, verse 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. Would you read just that first part of it out loud with me together? Fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin is, what do people think of me? And then the other fear is, what will they do to me? What will they think of me? What will they do to me? And so the Bible talks about several of these traps. Trap number one is living a double life. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, is just the fight. When I get to heaven... This is the pay-per-view. I want to, you know, I'm sure you get it for free in heaven. Uh, I've been trying to talk Kimberly into letting us buy the Pacquiao-Bradley fight uh, this coming Saturday night. But I tell you, the fight you really want to see, if they have it on pay-per-view or free-per-view in heaven, is the Apostle Paul versus the Apostle Peter. Now, that is a smackdown. That is a cage fight. Uh, That is a WWF that you just want to see. And it talks about in Galatians 2, verse 1, Paul writes, when Cephas, or Peter came to Antioch, I, the Apostle Paul, now to the Apostle Peter, Cephas is another name for Peter, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. They were Jewish, but he would eat and hang out with his non-Jewish, his Gentile friends. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That is, the Jewish group. When his Jewish friends showed up, now he wasn't friends with his non-Jewish or Gentile friends. And so he was racist when his friends were around. Wasn't a racist when his friends weren't around, became a racist against the Gentiles when his Jewish friends showed up. Or maybe for us, it's like we're Christians with our Christian friends, but not with our non-Christian friends. It's the trap of living a double life. It's kind of like being a chameleon. Chameleon's a remarkable creature. It can literally move its pigment from one part of its body to the other to match into its background. And that's the trap of being a chameleon, where we just kind of we're, we're double, uh, live a double life. We're, we're two-faced. We, we live one way with one group of friends and a different way with somebody else. Why? Because of the fear of man. Uh, trap number two is disobeying God. This is another trap we can fall into. Uh, it's an example of this is King Saul uh, dealing with the prophet Samuel. In 1 Samuel 15, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave into them. Uh, Samuel, God had given Samuel to give instructions to Saul that you don't take the spoils of war. Don't take the plunder. Uh, Use that as an offering to God. But he was afraid as a leader, as a military leader, that his men would reject him as a leader if he didn't allow them to plunder and to take the spoils of war. And so because he was afraid of the men, he gave in to them, and that led him uh, to disobey God. Now, how does this apply to us? Have you ever done something you knew was wrong uh, because you were afraid people would reject you? That's called, the Bible calls it, the fear of man. You may be trying to break free from a party lifestyle. You say, I'm going to serve Christ. I'm not going to get drunk anymore. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. And all your friends are like, you know, what are you doing? Have you become a Jesus freak or a religious freak? You know, know, what's up with that? Or you commit yourself to sexual purity. You're trying to live a sexually pure life, and people are like, what? Do you know what year this is? You're going to end up a 40-year-old virgin. I mean, that's crazy, and so they make fun of you. Or your boss puts pressure on you to compromise your integrity. He or she is saying, hey, this is what you got to do to make this business successful. And if you're not willing to make these compromises, there are plenty of people who would love your job. And so we got to make a choice. Are we going to obey man, other people, or are we going to obey God? Uh, the apostles talked about this in Acts 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. trap number three is secret Christianity. You read about this in John 12. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, believed in Jesus. This is most likely the Sanhedrin. This is a group of 70 men who ruled over the Jewish world. All around the world, uh, they were led by these 70 men of the Sanhedrin. They had tremendous power. They had tremendous influence and prestige. They had it all. And many of them, Uh, began to believe in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They would lose all that power, all that prestige, all that influence, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And so we run into the same temptation of these guys that stood silent at the death and trial and crucifixion of Jesus because they loved human praise more than praise from God. You know, maybe if I follow Jesus, I won't be as popular. Maybe if I follow Jesus, I won't be invited to certain parties. Maybe if I follow uh, Jesus, I won't get a date or I'll limit my source of, of people that I can date. And so we give in to this trap of secret Christianity. And then trap number four is being controlled by people. You see, fear of man led Peter to be a racist. Fear of man uh, led the members of the Sanhedrin to stay silent at the trial and execution of Jesus. A fear of man caused King Saul to disobey God. Paul writes in Galatians 1 verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to try to please people. We just shouldn't have it as our ultimate motivation. It shouldn't be our final decider. Our ultimate motivation should be to please God rather than to please other people. And so now let's look at four ways to be freed from the trap of the fear uh, of, of other people. How can we uh, get ourselves uh, freed uh, from that particular trap of, uh, of, of being um, enslaved uh, to the, the fear of other people and what they might think about us? Now, most people think that the way to be free from the fear of man is psychological. They think it's a psychological issue. I need to think higher of myself. Um, if we could just have higher self-esteem, uh, then we would be, wouldn't be so vulnerable to the fear of what other people think about us. Did you know that study after study shows that Americans think very highly of themselves, um, especially compared to other countries? Uh, we have awesome self-esteem as Americans. And yet more than ever, We seem, as people, to be controlled by the fear of man. Um, Yet more and more, uh, we live our lives like um, uh, image management, trying to impress more and more people. Uh, The solution is not higher self-esteem. The solution is not um, uh, psychological. It's theological. It's biblical. That's the solution uh, to the fear of what other people uh, think about us. Uh, it enables us the uh, trusting in God rather than the fear of other people, the fear of God. It enables us to take off our mask and to be real uh, with each other. Let's watch this together.
1: Did you know walking is an Olympic sport? Like you walk, just walking. Apparently, I've been training for the Olympics my entire life. I didn't even know it. Like I'm just, you just walk. How do you even get excited about walking? Like, man, did you see what he did? He had his left foot down. He put his right foot in front of it. That stuff was awesome. He's amazing. The Bible always says that laughter is good like a medicine. People would always quote that to me. I've seen it, I don't know how many times. And then one day God said to me, If it's a medicine, why don't you take it to the sick? That is one of the hugest revelations that I've had since being a Christian because I've done comedy. For years now, I've been on all of the late night TV shows, I've had a great time, but it wasn't until I made a shift from getting laughs from people to giving them an opportunity to laugh, where everything changed. Because now this gift that I have, it's not about me getting, it's about me giving to others. I did a show in Montrose, Colorado, a place called The Dolphin House. Now, the reason it's called The Dolphin House is because... um they take care of abused children. Uh, dolphins, whenever a dolphin gets hurt, um, other dolphins swim around it to protect it. So, uh, until, it's, until it's better. They take care of children who are being abused by their parents who are on drugs. And I walk in there and I get the stories of these kids. And um, this grandmother tells me about her grandson who was so afraid of his mom, like everywhere he goes, he wears a Spider-Man costume. Like everywhere he goes, one of the things his mom has been doing to him is she's been pulling out his toenails. So, I hear this little boy's story. Then I hear all these other kids' stories too, um, and then they bring them all in so I can do jokes for them and their caregivers. Now listen, if I if if it had not been for God changing my mindset about comedy to giving people an opportunity to laugh versus getting laughter. I'm telling you, there is no way I would have been able to do the show. I'd, I'd actually become physically sick after a while because we, this thing had been going on. So not only am I physically sick, but I'm down and low and I'm hearing these stories. But I have to do the show because these kids need to laugh. So I go up on stage and sitting right up front is Spider-Man in full costume. He's sitting on his grandmother's lap And he's he's clenching her with his back to me. And I get up on stage, and I start doing jokes. Slowly but surely, people start laughing. About 20 minutes in it, people are laughing pretty well. And then I hear a voice, and the voice says, My name is Ronan. And um, this little boy pulls off his mask. He just, he like, pulls off his mask, and he introduces himself to me. And the whole place is, like, frozen, sitting still, like in shock. He pulls off his mask and he introduces himself to me as to say, here I am, this is my name. He's in a room where everyone's laughing, there's no telling if he had ever been in a room like that before. And suddenly he felt free enough to take off his mask. And um, I can't help but think every time I do a show, whether it be late night TV, whether it be at a church or wherever, that there's probably somebody in the room on some level that could be taking off their mask. It's not about me getting the last from them. It's about me showing up with my gift, being willing to to give it to the people. Because if I have a gift, my job is to present it to the people I feel like should have it. If they don't receive it, it doesn't matter. I've still done what I'm supposed to do. My job is to bring the funny fully and wholeheartedly. Because someone in that room, um, needs to laugh they're going through a hard time or they need some sort of revelation that may come about because I've opened up the room with laughter so that's my assignment that's what I'm about that's what I want to do that's why I love to bring the funny you should never argue with your wife because if you win you are married to a loser (laughs) that's so funny that is awesome
0: How many think we should get that guy here some night? I think. He's local. Pastor Lisa's actually working on it. So uh, she, is, she is on it and seeing if we can get him here for a night of comedy. That would be just awesome. Uh, four ways to be free from the fear of other people, like Ronan, to feel able to take that mask off. First is trusting God sets us free from the fear of others. Now we're going to the second half of that theme verse. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. Okay, but here comes the antidote. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Let's read the second half out loud uh, together. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Okay, that's the antidote. Now I'm going to give an illustration for everybody over the age of 50. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm going to give a cholesterol illustration, okay? Uh, Boy, there's this one TV show Kimberly and I watch and. Every commercial is for prescription drugs of some type. And I turn to her, we always turn to each other and say, this must be an older audience that watches this thing. Everyone, everyone. So there's HDL, that's the good cholesterol, and LDL, which is the bad cholesterol. Those of you under 50, you will learn this eventually, okay? And so the good keeps the bad from building up in your arteries. And the same thing is true, the first half of this verse is the bad cholesterol, the LDL. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. It'll clog up your spiritual arteries. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. That's the HDL. That's the good cholesterol. It will free up our arteries so we can serve God and so we can be unhindered by the trap. We can be more effective in our Christian walk, uh, getting out of the snare, the trap of the fear of man. Next page of your study outline, a quote by Craig Rochelle. He says, fear, this is, this is really good. Boy, this is diagnostic here. Fear reveals what you value the most. This is something we need to think about during the week. I'm going to be thinking about it. Fear reveals where you trust God the least. Fear reveals what you value the most. Fear reveals where you trust God the least. Fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear is placing your faith in the wrong things. Isaiah said it this way. Stop trusting in mere humans, who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Why be afraid of that person you know, or even that person that's criticizing or mocking Christians? Have you ever found your blood pressure going up because somebody on TV or whatever uh, mocks Christians or, or makes fun of them? And Isaiah said, why be afraid of somebody that has breath in their nostrils just like you and me? They're all going to die. We're all going to die someday. And we'll either be prepared for that or we won't be prepared for that. So rather than fearing them, we should pray for them. Our hearts should break for them because they've got to stand before God just like we do. And they'll either be prepared or not prepared. So why be afraid of somebody who has but a breath in their nostrils? Why hold them in esteem? Heard about a young woman who has a spiritual exercise. What she does every morning when she gets ready is she spends the same amount of time with God that she does preparing physically, getting ready uh, for the day. So she spends equal time uh, from what she spends getting ready to be judged by other people as to what she looks like during that day, uh, physically getting ready in the morning. She spends equal time with God because he's the one that really needs to be feared. Uh, The second thing we can do is trust that God is stronger than any human enemy. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah says it this way. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals? Human beings are but grass. He says in one place, they just have breath in their nostrils, just like you and me. And they're grass. They're here today, gone tomorrow. That you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth. He says it in chapter 40 this way, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. You know, scientists tell us there are 264 billion gallons of water in the ocean. And yet God holds them in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hands Marked off the heavens. Scientists tell us that there are 30 billion light years from one side of the universe to the other and it is expanding all the time. And it says he marks them out with the breath of his hand. He marks off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Psalm 147 He determines the number of the stars. Scientists estimate that there are one billion trillion stars in the universe. That's one followed by 21 zeros. And yet it says he determines the number of the stars and calls each of them by name. Verse 15 of chapter 40. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. Uh, Scientists tell us that earth weighs about six trillion metric tons. And it's still gaining all the time. Gaining weight. Okay, And it says that he regards them as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And so Isaiah asks the question, that God, who should we fear? That God or that person with breath in their nostrils? Who's like grass? Who's here today and gone tomorrow? Number three, trust God. What God says about you more than what people say. Uh, Pastor Greg, um, he saw this point in my sermon, and so he sent me this the other day. This truth is right at the heart of the rooted experience and why it is so life-changing. Tina Hart has been fighting cancer. She's part of our church family here. She's been fighting cancer this past year, and she leads our landing ministry. That's Celebrate Recovery for High Schoolers. This Tuesday is their one-year anniversary. Let's hear it for the landing, okay? Awesome. She just completed Rooted, and at our recent celebration dinner, here's how Tina described the impact of Rooted and learning to trust what God says instead of what others say. One of the things you do at Rooted is you have a, Cardboard Testimonies, where you write before rooted on one side and after rooted on the other. Before rooted, I was believing falsehoods about my life and letting those falsehoods define me. And so she has on her card there, believing many falsehoods in my life. After rooted, I see the truth of how God sees me, and that changes everything. You see her photo. Now she can see the truth. Now what is that truth, okay? Uh, What is that? Craig Rochelle talks about it this way. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Now, follow this. I hope you had your coffee this morning on this one, okay? I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Do you guys have breakfast? I, I hope so. Okay, on that one. That's one way of looking at things. But here's God's way of looking at them. I am not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who... God says I am. Now on your own, you know, we need to kind of recalibrate our thinking. And so what we need to do this week, and I encourage you later today or before you go to bed tonight uh, or sometime this week in your quiet time with God, get alone and go through what's about 30 of them I've given to you here with Scripture references and look up the references. In Christ I am accepted. I'm God's child. I'm God's friend I've been justified. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body, His church. I'm a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. I have access to God. I have had my sins forgiven. In Christ, I'm accepted. In Christ, I am secure. I'm free from condemnation. I know all things work together for good. I'm free from all charges against me. I cannot be separated from God's love. I've been sealed by God. I'm hidden with Christ in God. God will finish His work in me. I have not been given a spirit of fear but of power. I will find grace to help in time of need. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. And then thirdly, in Christ I am significant. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a channel for God's power. I've been chosen to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is who you are in Christ. Not what other people think about us, but what he declares us uh, to be. Uh, In the book, Team of Rivals, it talks about Abraham Lincoln. He was criticized almost constantly. He was criticized for being a weak leader. He was criticized for not firing staff soon enough. He was criticized for giving poor speeches. He was criticized for his wife. He had the lowest approval ratings of any president in history at one point. He was made fun of for the way he looked. They called him a long-armed ape. Now, my, One of my favorite stories is this. Once when someone accused him of being two-faced... He said, if I had another face, do you think I would use this one? That's I, I just like, that guys, awesome. And so right after he was elected, here's a quote he said. I am duly grateful as I trust to Almighty God for having directed my countrymen to a right conclusion. He had this sense that no matter how people treated him or talked about him, he was created by God for a purpose. And that purpose was to lead our nation during its most difficult time in our history. And God has created you for a purpose as well. Just as much as Abraham Lincoln. Just as much as Abraham Lincoln. There's only one you in the history of humanity. There's only you that can, that can speak the lines of God's play. That can play the note in God's orchestra. There's only you. You're one in a billions and billions. You're one in uh, unique and utterly all the people that have ever lived God created you for a purpose. It's no accident you're here. And whatever people say to you or about you or do to you, just keep going back again and again to what God says about you. And some of us need to take this list home. And we need to look up every verse and just immerse ourselves in this stuff. We've got to recalibrate to change how we define ourselves from what people say about us uh, to what God says. Uh, says about us. And then number four, trust that God will never reject you, even if people do. Hebrews 13, verse 5, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? See, we say, you know, if people knew the real me, uh, they would reject me. And they might, they might not. If we all knew everything that we all thought all the time, maybe we would reject each other. But here's here's a wonderful thought. God knows everything about me. God knows everything about you. And he still accepts you. He knows everything you think about. He knows every thought that you have. He knows everything about you. And yet he still accepts you. Is that a wonderful thing or what? What a great blessing that is. Trust that God will never reject you, even if people do. God knows the worst about me, and He still accepts me. Let's close our study by reading out loud Psalm 27, verses 1, 13, and 14. Out loud together The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And all God's family said, amen. Now, the reason we can have that confidence is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. And 2,000 years ago on that first Easter Sunday, he rose from the grave. And so that's how we know that we have a good, good father who loves us and we are accepted by him because he's a good, good father. Um, And everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper with us. You just need to know that you've opened up your heart to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that you can call him your father. You say, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've done that, or if I'd like to do that today, how would I go about doing it? If you look to the next page of your study outline, the upper left-hand corner, uh, the next page beyond your study outline, you'll see the three steps the Bible talks about that we need to take in order to receive him as our father. Uh, The Bible says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. How do we become a child of God? You'll see those three steps, and then there's a little suggested prayer there. And if you've ever prayed that prayer, something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today, this could be your day to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Okay, and and if uh, April third, two thousand sixteen, this could be your moment. And if you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray that prayer or something like it right now to open up your heart to Christ, you are very welcome to take the bread that remembers his body given for us on the cross and then the cup that reminds us of his body shed for us uh, on the cross so that we could be completely forgiven and accepted, adopted, born again into his family so that we can know that he's our good, good father and that we are his child. And so let's take just a moment now uh, to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.